So what I'd like to do this evening is work through uh, James chapter 1, starting at verse 13, going through the end of the chapter. And I'm simply going to, uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing all at once. I'm going to read it and comment as, as I go. And, and then hearken back to things that were uh, stated earlier. Let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. First thing is picture humanity as this giant mud flat, and uh, sin would be toxic weeds that grow up out of the out of the mud. Okay, so. Uh, where does sin come from? Well, sin comes from our own desires, our own lusts. Uh, this is what this um, dirt produces. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away by his own lust. It's not coming from God. Um, let no man say, God, this is coming down from above. He is saying, let no one say that. Uh, God can't be tempted, and he doesn't tempt anyone. Sin arises from below. Then he says, do not err, my beloved brethren. And then the question is, well, if, if sin comes from below, what is it that comes from above? Well, the next verse says, every good and perfect gift, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. So we're talking about sin from below, and every good and perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from, cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So the, think, picture the influence of godliness, the influence of holiness, the influence of uh, this divine sunlight as coming down from the Father of lights, coming down upon us. And there's no variation. It's constant. It's unchanging. Uh, the, the mud flats change all the time. It smells different ways in different places, produces different kinds of weeds. So you've got sin from below and then sunlight or every good and perfect gift. Uh, coming down from above. Then it says, Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So what God is wanting to, to do, I think, in this image, is he wants to grow a different kind of plant from this soil. So you've got this awful place that's just a weed patch, and then sunlight that's constant, pure, unchanging, coming from above, and then God wants to grow something different, some, a useful crop down below. And so it says, of his own will begat he us. So think of this light that's coming down from above, or think of this, uh, these good and perfect gifts coming down from above as the sort of gifts that engender uh, fruitfulness. The, the gift, the, the good and perfect gift comes down and it creates something. It makes something happen. And the thing that makes it happen, it says, is the word of truth. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. Okay, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So the, the first fruits here has to do with the harvest that God intends. God intends to grow a luxuriant, uh, fruitful crop in the middle of this weed patch. He, he intends to turn this weed patch into a uh, glorious cornfield or wheat field or something prop, profitable, something fruitful. All right, so 
sin from below, sin, sin from below, holiness from above, and then there's a word of efficacious power coming from above, where of his own will he begets us to new life. He does something new. Okay, now, if we've got sin from below, holiness from above, and then the word of power from above, now what? Well, we're now we're at verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Well, that's the first thing you want to do. If you, if you want to cooperate with what God's doing, if you don't want to be growing weeds like you used to, and you want to be part of this useful crop that God has now uh, set himself on growing, what, how do you cooperate with that? What do you do with that? What, what's the first thing you should do? Well, my beloved brethren, swift to hear. Listen quickly. Listen quickly. Be eager to listen. Don't be finishing other people's sentences for them. And above all, don't be finishing God's sentences for him. <laughs> so if God's speaking, you want to be entirely, completely receptive, swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. So quick, listen quickly, speak slowly, and get angry slowly. doesn't say never get angry. In Ephesians, it says, uh, be angry and sin not. Uh, and then it says, if you're angry, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. So there is, a, there is a righteous anger that does exist in the world. However, comma, the next verse, verse 20, says, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. So man's anger from below is a weed. So we sometimes might think, well, now that I'm a Christian, I can get angry on God's behalf. Well, certain holy people have done it, but don't try this at home, kids. Don't. <laughs> it, it's something that is, that is part of a Christian life. It is. Uh, Jesus got angry when the, when the um, people in the synagogue were looking to see if he was going to heal the man with the withered hand. Anger, and Jesus doesn't say this, but he was probably angry when he cleansed the temple, right? <laughs> One infers. <laughs> but there's a, there's a peculiar kind of anger that doesn't cooperate with what God's up to. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. So you want to, you want to uh, do something about your anger? Be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. Slow to wrath. Why? Because man's wrath doesn't cooperate with what God's up to. Then, the, so man's anger, hasty answers, quick temperedness, all of that, those are weeds from below. Then in verse 21, it says, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. This is the King James. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good name for a band. <laughs> no, it's not a good name for a band. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> okay. Wherefore, lay, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. So, remember up above, of his own will he begat us with the word of truth, and it says here, receive with meekness the engrafted word. So you've got this uh, image, so every good and perfect gift is coming down from above. 
we grow a nasty crop. Don't, don't do that. Stop doing that. Receive the word from above, uh, this engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. Which is able to save your souls. So when, if the word of truth in verse 18, if, if that word of truth is, uh, engenders life, that means you're born again. That's, the new, that's new life. So the word of truth begets us into new life. And then he says in verse 21, to receive this word, which is able to save your souls. Then, and this is the uh, sort of the cash payout of this passage. Realize that this book, James, is written by the Lord's half-brother. Okay, this is written by a man who grew up with a perfect older brother. <laughs> he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> and there's no sign of crackle of envy or anything. But so, so, verse 22, he says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Be doers of the word, and not hearers. Now he says in the previous verse, that you're to receive the word with meekness, and receiving the word with meekness is able to save your souls. And then he says, be doers and not hearers only. So if you're just a hearer, if, well, let me put it another way. In verse 21, receive with meekness, we might, tend, we might think that this is entirely passive, right? You receive the word with meekness, you just lie and take it, okay? But then he says, but do. Right? Don't just hear. Don't assume that receiving the word with meekness is entirely passive because he says, be doers of the word. You want a plant to grow up. You want something to come up. Be, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Now this is really, this is one of the most interesting concepts ever and it's one of the most interesting things in the Bible. And that is this, deceiving your own selves. How is it possible, I ask you, how is it possible for you to lie to you and have you buy it? You lie to you and you say, yeah, that sounds good. That sounds good. <laughs> I, find that, I find that argument compelling. <laughs> and then you hasten to say, tell me more. <laughs> Tell me more. How does that work? How does self-deception work? Well, if our brains were solitary, single-celled organisms, only capable of carrying one thought at a time, then uh, self-deception is an absurdity, right? But we're complicated. We're complicated. And that means and your, your brain has billions of cells and all kinds of things going on. And I was just sharing this with some people earlier this week. Um, I saw a film once back in the, back in the day when uh, science was king. They used to treat epilepsy uh, by snipping the, two, uh, the cord that connects the two halves of the brain. <laughs> so that's, that was one of the treatments for epilepsy. So the two halves of your brain couldn't talk to each other anymore. That was the treatment. But then they, some psychologists got a hold of some people that had had this done to them, and they did some very interesting ex experiments on them, and they sat them down at a table, and they, you could, they put a little screen in front of them, and you could reach under the screen, and you could pick up with your left hand 
I'm just being arbitrary with the hands because I don't know which size. Your left hand, your left hand is wired to the right side of your brain and vice versa, it goes the other way, crisscrosses. Well, you pick uh, up a, a very easily identifiable object like a toothbrush and you hold it with your left hand and you would know that it was a toothbrush and you could not say, this is a toothbrush. Because the part of your brain that knew how to talk didn't know it was a toothbrush and the part of your brain that knew that it was a toothbrush didn't know how to talk. <laughs> but as soon as they switched hands, they could say, oh, this is a toothbrush. Okay? Or they could hold it in the toothbrush, they could write down, this is a toothbrush, but they couldn't say, this is a toothbrush. In other words, you, th there's a lot of communication this way, right? There's a lot of lateral communication in the human brain, in the human, brain, in the human mind. And multiple opportunities are created for self-deception. Yeah, that sounds right. I didn't think that this morning, but I think it now. So uh, here's another example. The psychologists are devious. <laughs> one, time, one time they took a bunch of people who were overweight and they had them keep a journal of everything they ate. All they, they didn't have to diet or anything like that. All they had to do was keep a journal, keep a record of what you ate. So they all um, wrote down in the journal what they ate, what they ate, what they ate. If they had an apple, they wrote down had an apple at two in the afternoon. And then, after a week or two or three of this, they scooped them all up and took them off to a secure location and then fed them for the next three weeks on what they said they had been eating for the previous three weeks. Okay. <laughs> so if you said that I had a Snickers bar at four in the afternoon, someone would come into your room and give you a Snickers bar. You know, here's your Snickers bar. And in the first three weeks, nobody was losing any kind of weight. And in the second three weeks, everybody started losing weight like crazy. <laughs> Why? Because everybody was lying to themselves and buying it. Right? I, oh, we have all this. Now, how is it that this works? How does, how does self-deception work? Well, it works this way. But in, when it comes to spiritual things, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. A lot of people think that they are Bible, that a lot of Christians think that they're obedient because they put up with sermons that say you ought to be obedient. <laughs> right? Well, I, I go to a Bible teaching church. I go to a, a church that stands for the Bible and I hear orthodox sermons and I, I hear, hear messages against this sin and this sin and this sin and I put up with all that. I must be doing it. Well, that's what James says. If you're hearer of the word and not a doer, you deceive yourself. You're lying to yourself. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto man, and then uh, we shift from the image of um, things growing from below and influence from above, and we come to another image. If any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in the mirror, in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. So he looks in the mirror, he sees that his hair needs to be combed, and then he walks away and forgets that his hair needs to be combed. He doesn't do. Right? He looks, and he sees, and identifies, and walks away, not taking any kind of action. And then once you're away from the mirror, you can tell yourself any story you want. <laughs> All right, so he forgets what manner of man he was. But 
Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, which tells you this is the mirror, this is the, this is the glass that we are to look into, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forget, <coughs> excuse me, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this man shall be blessed in his deed. And the blessing is not deceiving yourself. The blessing is having the word germinate. The blessing is the salvation of your soul. The blessing is you become a kind of the first fruits of his creature. He starts to grow in you the things that he wants to, he wants to see uh, flourish in your life. He shall be blessed in his deed. Then verses 26 and 27. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Now here's, this is interesting, because here it is again, deceiveth his own heart. This man is lying to himself, and he is the liar, and he is the lied to. He is, and what's he doing this time? Before, he's hearing and not doing. Now, he is letting his tongue just run loose. He's not bridling his tongue. That causes this. Now, th one of the principal ways in which you can deceive yourself is by listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. If you are listening to yourself, basically you've got this, you've got this automatic conversation going on all the time, and if you're just chattering, just verbal scribbling, and you're going, 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 you're, you're just talking and uh, aimlessly, and most of what's going on is this constant talking is what you're listening to. You're just, you're just taking it in. Whatever comes up, remember, jump back to the previous image, whatever weeds grow, that's, that's what you think is, well, that's compelling, right? But if you make a conscious choice to talk to yourself and to conform what you say to what God has said, how many times has the word been mentioned here, right? It says in verse uh, 18, of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. Um, it says in um, verse 22, be doers of the word. Uh, 23, if any be a hearer of the word. Uh, so if you speak to yourself with, uh, with a, an intention, uh, with the intention of repeating or echoing what God has said, if you're talking to yourself like that, then what's going to happen? You're not going to be deceiving your own heart. If any man among you seems to be religious and bridleth not his tongue. So if I'm listening to God's word and doing it, well, what does it say in verse 19? If I, the, the word of God comes to me and says, therefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. Well, there's bridling my tongue, right? Slow to speak, bridling my tongue, biting my tongue, not saying everything that comes into my uh, in, into my mind. Honesty is a greatly overrated virtue. Okay? Not because honesty is wrong, but because our version of it is wrong. We think that honesty requires us to say every thought that comes into our heads. But <laughs> there's a great preacher, um, I think it was McShane, or I forget who, which, some great preacher, some some lady came up to him and said, 
what a marvelous sermon, what a, God, what a man of God. And he said, if you could, he said to the woman, if you could see into my heart, you would spit in my face. I, I'm, God, I'm a piece of work. So you don't share everything that comes, you don't share everything. You don't, why would you do that? <laughs> well, I just wanted to be transparent with my friends. Well, stop it. <laughs> Who told you to be transparent with your friends? Not me. <laughs> because oftentimes that kind of transparency is simply rattling on. Godliness bridles your tongue. Watch what you say. Want you be swift to hear, slow to speak, bridle your tongue, and if you bridle your tongue, you're, that you've taken a major step toward getting out of self-deception, which means that you've left space for yourself to do what you're hearing. Okay? So if any man among you seems to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. And then he says, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Now, this is a verse that many people who are advocates of what's called social justice point to, well, we need to fight for widows and orphans and we need to fight for the oppressed. And that is very true, we do, right? But we can't rush to verse 27 without working our way through to verse 27. Because the first, order, the first order of business is stop lying to yourself. Stop telling yourself stories. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 13? If you give, give your body to be burned, if you're a martyr, but you have not love, what are you? Nothing. He says, if you give away all your goods to the poor, but have not love, what are you? Nothing. If you visit every widow in, the, in town, visit all the orphans, and you start orphanages, but have not love, what are you? Nothing. So it starts with keeping yourself unspotted from the world. It starts with receiving the unchanging word of God, which teaches you to bridle your tongue, stop lying to yourself, stop telling yourself you're doing things from, from the Bible when you're doing no such thing. So you, you basically clean up your own act. If you don't clean up your own act, all you're going to do when you go visit the widows and orphans in their affliction is contaminate them. You're just going to bring a mess. Jesus says of the Pharisees that they cross earth and sea to make a proselyte, make a disciple, and when they do, they make them twice as much a son of hell as themselves. So that's the, that's the flow of this argument. We produce by ourselves a bunch of nasty stuff. God's gifts are unchanging, inexorable, and he gives a particular gift of new life, the word that's implanted in your soul that can, can spring up to new life. You're to receive that with meekness. How do you do that? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Don't, uh, put, resist these sorts of natural things, these weeds that seem to come so naturally. And above all, once you've made a profession of faith in Christ, Above all, take care not to tell yourself lies.